Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fireside Chat number... 219. 219. You should watch all the other 218, by the way. They're, they're worthy of watching. Anyway, on rare occasion, I have a guest because nearly always it's my chance to just talk to you whatever's on my mind and then take your questions. But sometimes there are truly special people with an incredibly important message, and I invite them to my home and to our uh, fireside chat. And I just want to tell you, as this is coming out between Christmas and New Year's, you would think it would be normally a very lighthearted fireside chat, but there, there is always lightheartedness, or at least nearly always, in, in these chats. But to I just tell you in advance, the lightheartedness of this is the good that this man does. But the subject is certainly not light, the subject of trafficking. My guest is Tim Ballard of the organization Operation Underground Railroad. The Underground Railroad's history in the United States, of course, is bringing uh, slaves to freedom. But that's exactly what he is doing, is bringing slaves to freedom. But it is not based on race this time, but rather on age, on sex, and we'll find out what else but it's best known in its trafficking mode, but it's not the only form of slavery, as we will find out. So let's play the opening question because it, it happens to coincide with our subject, and uh, let's take it away. Hi, my name is Sadie Irgood. I'm 18 years old, and I'm from Mason, Michigan. My question for you is, what is the best way to fight human trafficking in our local community? So, you know, what's interesting. She's 18. She's you know, in a town I never heard of, Mason, Michigan. So this can't be a very big place. So I don't even expect you to have an answer, but I'm wondering, how, why would she even ask that? Why would an 18-year-old in Mason, Michigan ask about, uh, did she say specifically sex trafficking or human trafficking? Human trafficking. Human trafficking. Yeah. So Tim, I, I said to you beforehand, I'm very open with, with guests and, and with my listeners or viewers, I don't know a lot about the subject. So, which is, by the way, ironically, somewhat of an advantage, because then I'm going to be asking questions that, that the average person will be asking. Uh, so l let me begin with, what does trafficking mean? So trafficking is slavery. That's what it is. And it comes in different forms. Mostly it's slave labor. That's the most prominent sex slavery and, and organ harvesting. And there, there are, this is estimated by U.S. State Department, the U.N., every entity, they estimate about 30 million people who are currently in one of those forms of slavery. That's more slaves than ever existed in the history of the world. You could add up all the slaves that were abused during that 350-year period of the transatlantic slave trade, add them all up, and there's still more alive today than all of those combined. So that's what it is, it's $150 billion a year business. Okay, so I understand the work slave and the sex slave. I don't understand the organ harvesting. So the organ harvesting is, it's, it's, it's more difficult to find, uh, but it's, it is prominent. Uh, we work, for example, in, in uh, Uganda and other um, East African nations where it is actually like a witchcraft. Um, and that's the motive is they actually take children and they'll cut, they'll use their blood and sell their blood and as this sounds like a horror movie, like this can't be true, but it is absolutely true. They'll cut their genitalia off and sell it, and people will hang, hang that above their, um, their businesses for good luck, because the gods of some sort will, will, will bless the business. Um, we have several children that we care for in East Africa uh, who were rescued mid-torture. So we're, we're, we're helping them with um, restoring their, their, their bodies. Um, now we also work in the Middle East, where we have cases where, you know, when ISIS lost its territory, they had kidnapped um, Yazidi uh, children and, and ransacked the villages and the Christian villages up there. And they still have possession of some of these women and children. And how they make their money, they generate income, is by selling the, the organs. And we've, we've actually identified and dismantled some of those rings. A pediatric heart, for example, could go for 250 
thousand dollars. Well, th- this show's just gotten dark right off the off the bat. I'm sorry. I, every time I talk, I'm just like I well, can't believe I'm. I don't, I don't know. If I can't any, believe I'm saying this stuff. Is there any light to this <laughs> subject? Uh, look, it's uh, people need to confront evil, or or we can't surmount it. Uh, so I, I, you don't have to excuse yourself. Uh, this is what you deal with. I bless you for doing it. So organ harvesting. When when you said it, my thought was that and tell me if it's true if it's not true i don't i I don't want to ever repeat it that in china uh some political prisoners uh they will take their organs and sell them is that true or 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 is it if it's not true it's not true i don't know anything any specific cases in china but several cases in the middle east that where that is the case adults children it's it's money and they make it's good money for the bad guys i assume that's not the biggest part of your work just in time, in time, time. What what takes up your most time? Which which of the three? Sex trafficking. Why? Um, it's what we it's what we kind of started out, set our sights on in the beginning, and so it still takes up. It's probably eighty percent of our operations are in the in the sex trafficking, child exploitation realm. So, are, are there other groups that eighty percent is with the work slaves? Uh, there are groups that focus on, on slave labor, like International Justice Mission is an amazing organization that, that does a lot of work in that area as well. Um, and uh, the, it's, that, it's so prominent and prevalent in places like Africa, India. Wh- which is the greater number of human beings, sex slavery or work slavery? Work slavery is the, is, so. the, is the majority. But, right. but once you own somebody... Like I have a problem with these numbers when they when I read them because we have a lot of experience in the in the work slave arena. Once you own someone, you will make them a sex slave. Like I think historians have done a great disservice to the transatlantic slave trade by making us all believe that it's it was all work slave. They were sex slaves. You know those what they were doing to those women and children um, here in America for hundreds of years. Uh, the sex slavery part has largely been taken out of the history, maybe because it's just too difficult to deal with or accept. Uh, but the more we study, and I study the transatlantic slave trade, once you own someone, you'll do anything to them eventually. Right. So Well, you certainly can. Yeah. So when, how long have you been doing this? For 18 years. And what got you started? So I started, I was a special agent with the United States uh, government, with the Department of Homeland Security. I was an undercover operator. And this was in the early 2000s when we were really just discovering what human trafficking was and child trafficking was. And I very reluctantly went into it when they asked me to help start some of the first groups. There, there was these task force uh, forces that were formed called the Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. And, and again, we didn't know the numbers were in the millions at that time. Um, and the more I kind of got into it, the more I realized how enormous this, this was and fa- realized as well that the vast majority of the victims live in countries where the law enforcement is dismal if if existent at all like like where like in developing countries that's where you're going to find in developing countries that are where there are resort towns you're going to find it in abundance where they're selling children for sex and that of course the, the reason they choose those places is because they don't have the law enforcement response and they feel safe and here's the kicker that every american should understand is that the united states we generally almost year after year, are the number one consumers of child exploitation abroad. material. Yeah, of, of the child rape right, material. But, but being done abroad. Right, and then we are the ones that, our countrymen are the ones going abroad to find Give this. Give me an example of, of the two or three most common destinations. Thailand. I thought so. That I knew of. Yeah, yep. Thailand, we, we have a 25-person uh, office out there, full-time running and gunning, working with the police. We always work with police. We're not a vigilante group. We just support law enforcement. So that's our biggest office, just because it's weekly, the, the, the operations that we are assisting with out there. Uh, Colombia, Mexico, the Caribbean, Dominican Republic, Haiti. Um, these are places where we're very Do active. Do you work with human beings older than 18? Yes, but mostly under 18. We, tar- we, we target uh, child victims first, but women are four times more likely to be trafficked than, than children. So we- uh, Oh, really? Mm-hmm. The, the majority of sex slaves, of trafficked people, are, are first of all, female more than male. Yes. And over 18, way more than under 18? Yeah. Even though you began talking about children. Right. 
There's still millions of children, so we focus on them because they're the most millions. It's, it's, it's estimated by the UN and State Department that there's about two million children currently forced in the commercial sex trade right now. It's. It, I feel like there there are there are two planets. Planet sex slave and planet normal. Where are most of these children? In Thailand and and Colombia and and so on. In other words, poorer countries. In in developing countries for sure. Um, but the United and, and 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 so people go on what what do they call it? Sex tourism. Sex tourism. Yep. And that's what opened it up this world to me because in two thousand six the laws in the U.S. changed with the passage of the Adam Walsh Child Protect Act, which eliminated the statutory requirement that used to exist prior to 2006, which said that a sex tourist had to have the intent to rape that child overseas while standing on U.S. soil, which eliminated almost every case. So post-2006, that's when they made me an undercover operator and sent me in, because now we could, if we could prove that Americans were raping children overseas, we could hold them accountable as if they had committed that crime here. And so that opened my eyes, but also put me into a frustrating place because if I couldn't find the American in two weeks that I was allotted, but I always found the kids. So I was walking away from these kids, you know, and so finally that's- What is the average age, I'm, I'm afraid to ask, the average age of a kid? The average, we've seen everything from infant to 18, but the average is about 12 to 13 years old is the average age of, of when we say children. Who, and who how are they procured? So different ways. It's, it's usually a lure. And that's where people get confused. They see the movie Taken and they think that they're going around kidnapping everybody. And people who want to deny, there's several leftists that want to deny that this is a problem. So they limit the definition to what it is. It's not the hard kidnapping. These are businessmen. So they're going to lure. So they're going to go into like the highlands of Guatemala where there's no recourse, no law enforcement recourse, and they go and trick the families. Hey, let us take your daughter. She'll be a nanny. She'll get an education. She'll talk to you every well, wait, weekend. But, she, but you said the average age is 12 to 13. There were 12-year-old nannies? Yeah, at that age, in, in those countries, sure. Yeah, we come come, and we'll, we'll let you go to school, but you can take care of our kids as well. We'll give the family a couple hundred dollars. These are like in villages that are... And they never see their child. And they never again. see the child again. They'll take them to another country and they're gone. What we, what we, what recourse? They have no one to talk to, no one to report it to. Um, we just had a case that I talked about at your gala uh, recently, where we're seeing a lot of Venezuelan girls because, you know, socialism breeds all sorts of problems, including when most you say girls. What age are they generally? Uh, the ones in Venezuela are uh, the, these particular ones were between eighteen and twenty four. So they're selling themselves? No, what happens is in this case, and in many cases, they go to a desperate place like Venezuela and they say to them, your babies are dying. The traffickers. The traffickers are saying your babies are dying. Come work in Dominican Republic at a legitimate job. We're going to let you, you're going to be a receptionist at a hotel. You're going to be a, you know, a, a, working on the pool, at the pool or whatever. And then once they get them to take that flight, they got them. They take, they steal their passports and they end up in a brothel in Haiti with nothing, with no, with no option but to, to be sold for sex. Not to locals. To locals or tourists. Yeah. It's a nightmare. I mean, it it's, is a nightmare. It's, 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 I'm just sitting here sort of silenced by the evil of it. Who are the traffickers? Are, are they homogeneous in terms of nationality or anything? Uh, they are, they are anyone and everyone. There's, there's no real way to kind of, to, to profile. Well, Americans are the biggest consumers. Are yeah. they also the biggest traffickers? No, not, not, I wouldn't say generally they're not the biggest traffickers. Uh, so the traffickers, they're going to be local. From, they're local in that area. Would, uh -huh. mm -hmm. They're generally local. They, is it run though by large cartels? Generally, generally in my experience, it's look, it's small cellular structures. Why? Because there's even a code amongst thieves, right? Like pedophiles get beat up in jail. Right. So even these organizations that are trafficking in drugs, we've actually in the, in the past received intel from some of the largest cartels because they said if, if the cops aren't going to do something about this, because this is abhorrent. Yeah, we'll sell drugs and we'll even we'll even involve ourselves in, in, in adult sex workers, but children being raped. So the bigger the organization gets, you're going to eventually even even though criminals, they're going to say, hey, we're not going to sell 10 year olds. Right. So they generally have to stay pretty small. The ones that we have seen four or five would be kind of an average size organization. And, and a lot of times they find children who 
go home every night, but their parents are there's a, there's a dysfunctional. Usually it's like an, a senile grandma or someone that's taking care of them. They know what to target. A, a fatherless home, for example, is what they're going to target. And they'll offer a scholarship to a child. Hey, come be a... Come. So the Venezuelan 20-year-old is taken to Haiti, yeah. thinking she's getting a hotel job. Going to Dominic, she's thinking she's going to Dominican Republic. Oh, Getting a point. hotel job. Yeah, I'm glad you corrected me. Yeah. I see. And then they were... But ends up in Haiti. They were drugged up. They were uh, passports stolen. So uh, are there legitimate uh, people coming into Venezuela, let's say, and saying, hey, we need real nannies. We need real hotel workers. In other words, what are the odds that somebody looking for someone for that work is really a trafficker? Oh, I, I mean, I would have to, I would guess 80 or 90 percent of that's someone rolling th- into Venezuela. That, yes, that's what I would think. Because so, they don't need to go that far right. to find somebody. So why doesn't the word get out? Just don't go. That's what we are working on. I was in Africa. I was in Ghana earlier this year. And I, I don't usually do undercover work, but sometimes I get a good Hollywood makeup artist and I go do it. And we found these Thai girls. This was earlier um, um, this year. We found these Thai girls who had been trafficked under the state, same lure because they to COVID, Ghana to Ghana. They're they're you know the, the the Thai government was one of the worst in terms of shutting down everything due to COVID and this and so they, they had to feed their families and it's always that they they recruited them to Ghana and there she was forced to have sex when she was told she was just there to do salon work you know so it's hard to believe that a Thai. How old is, would that Thai girl be? She was around 24, I Okay, believe. it's hard to believe a 24-year-old Thai girl thinks she's going to do salon work in Ghana. Right. Uh, but they're so desperate because they're, uh, they're, right. they're, yes. they're trying By to feed the way, their babies. I just want to add, because uh, it's been my, my fight from the beginning, I said to the to great attacks on me that this worldwide lockdown was the greatest mistake ever made on a worldwide basis, not the greatest evil, the greatest mistake. People did not even ask, what will the consequences be? The shattered lives that the lockdowns have brought with no saving of life is a disgrace to the medical profession, to the World Health Organization, to America, to Canada, to Australia, it's a disgrace. Most people don't even realize this, Dennis. In, in 2019, in March and April, the reports to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, this is in the United States, was 2 million in excess of what it was the year before. Really? Three because of COVID because lockdowns? Because of COVID lockdowns. What they didn't realize, no one thought to ask the children or think through the well, children's eyes, what's going to happen when you take away all the safety right. nets that society that, has provided right. for children? Doesn't matter. Pedophiles are home alone with their computers. Right. Kids are home alone with the computers. We'll save one life. Boom. We'll screw a million. Yeah. And that's, and that's what has has happened. And what's really sick is when you think about the numbers, if you take those coaches and teachers that keep the kids safe, they all are in, a, in, a, in an age bracket that they have a 99.99% chance of surviving this thing, right? And the children even more uh, if they were to get it. And you're exchanging that for what? For millions of additional cases of potential child rape. That's right. It's in, just that alone should have been enough. And starvation and... and uh, it- well, we have the largest number of deaths uh, due to uh, a drug overdose in American history, thanks to COVID. Uh, it's it's all, all the lockdowns have done is ruin lives. That's all they've done. Children haven't seen other children for two years, and people are proud of it. Okay, don't start me, because that's another <laughs> one of my pet peeves. So, okay, so you will go, let's say, to Haiti, mm-hmm. which you do go to, and we'll talk about your own family situation in Haiti. So you will find out that there were some Venezuelan young women uh, at, a, at, at a, what, at a brothel? It looked like a nightclub, but yeah, it's a at brothel. At a nightclub, okay. And then what do you do? So we find out, we go in undercover, working with the police, and we tell the, the police cooperate. We, if, if they don't cooperate, we don't do anything. We always oh, that's, that's our policy. OK, but in some cases, like in Haiti, people say don't work there because they're all corrupt and they're right. But we have to work there because we keep rescuing people. So we, we roll in there and told the traffickers, we want to rent this place out in a few weeks. 
Uh, the boss won't let us touch any of the girls right now. It'll fire us and beat us up. So that's how we have our excuse that why we're not engaging sexually with these victims. But we went to the place out. Let's negotiate a deal. And in this case, it was so interesting. Wait, you act as if you're going to buy the club? Rent it out for the weekend to have a big bachelor party, a sex oh, party. Oh, with the girls, obviously. With the girls, yeah. Oh, fascinating. So they, they That's a good tactic. So they bring these girls out. Yeah. And they're showing us the girls. Now, these girls, we didn't know this. They're all Catholics, praying girls. I mean, these girls, one of them was a cop in Venezuela. Like, they have, they have 15 babies amongst all of them. And they had been praying. Some, some had been in there over a year. And, you know, what are you going to do? Their traffickers mock them. You don't have a passport. You don't speak the language. You're stuck. And, and they and they were and they and they literally the language just want to make it clear language in Haiti is French is, is the rest yeah. of South America is Portuguese yeah. or Spanish. So they, they, right. And they literally kept them. And this is all filmed. This is being made into a documentary right now. They kept them in a jail cell behind the brothel, literal bars that they locked from the outside. And they just bring them out to sell them and back in the jail cell. And they told us later, we prayed every night that God would send somebody. And while, while our guys, true story, while our guys were negotiating with traffickers and they rolled these girls out to show, to display them, they told us later, God told us that you guys were not tourists, sex tourists, that you were here to help us. And so one of the girls wrote in her left hand, just in case it fell into the traffickers' hands, a little note. She wrote, ayúdanos, por favor, help us, help please. Us, yeah. And hands it and puts it into the hand of our, our operators. And they're, they, they said, we were, we've been made by, by these girls. And they knew that they said God told them they felt that we were there to help them. And within 24 hours, we had them out of the place. So that's a good tactic. We want to rent a place for the weekend. So you gave them money, obviously, the traffickers. Yeah. We start kind of a deposit for the party. Yeah, so they know we're right. serious. Yeah. And then they come back Monday and the girls are gone. So when we is that right? Is that am I describing it accurately? The what? traffickers come back to the. You've rented the place for a weekend. Yeah. So they come back Monday. I assume the weekend's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So they come back Monday and no girls are there. No, because the traffickers were, were, were going to be there during the party. So how do you get the girls out? So what happened? They, we just made, the party made it so all the girls were going to be there. Yeah. And then instead of having a party, the law enforcement partners go in and, and raid the place. And they go in and they were supposed to arrest all the traffickers, get the girls out, and it's all and done. do they do that? No, they don't. What they do is as they go into the place, the traffickers yeah. start paying the cops immediately. And we're watching this. Right. And now we know enough about Haiti to know that this could happen and probably would happen, which is why we have layered cops, other entities that we can go to when they when this one fails. But we can't tell the other law enforcement entity about it. So they don't have time to think of how they might leverage something to, to get a bribe out of us because we will not pay a bribe. So so as these the cops are paying getting paid off and we're watching this, the cop comes out and says, Okay, girls, you're free. Go get go get your stuff out of your room, your jail cell. The girls are crying, screaming, but our director of aftercare, uh, Jessica Mass, is watching this and realizes something's up. And we know the Haitian cops just got paid. So sure enough, their plan was to come up with what we call the excuse factor, like do something so that they can say, hey, sorry, OUR, like we can't help you. And what that was, was while the girls were getting their stuff, all of them in the jail cell, walk in walks the trafficker who should be in handcuffs with a, with a padlock. And he's going to lock them in and then tell us, the cops are going to say, sorry, everyone out. We can't, they're locked, they're locked up. We can't get them out. And so Jessica our girl standing there sticks her finger in the hole in the end of the of the jail cell door and the guy can't get the lock down she rips the lock we you tell the girls to run they get in the van and now we're being chased by traffickers and cops who are the cops are trying to negotiate a deal I don't, I don't know how you got away with it well it was a, a miracle because we get them into a safe house and we can't tell the other law enforcement entity in, in Haiti about it so that they don't start thinking about ways to well, leverage Well, I can't it. believe every operation succeeds. No, not, not everyone does. Most of them do because we are pretty good at what we do, but, but not, not all of them do. In this case... Are you present at most of these? Um, not most of them, but um, in this one, I was back in our offices... Uh, where we have satellite imagery where I can watch the operation in real time and watch all the move, the players move and kind of direct traffic from 3,000 miles away. How many women have you rescued? Uh, overall, we've rescued um, over 4,000, mostly children. Um, four, oh, not four, mostly the age of the Venezuelan. No, that's, that was the, the most, well, mostly, mostly children. children. 
And and when I say rescue, I, I would give the credit mostly to law enforcement. We assist them. They'll ask us to go undercover and be their, their informants because we can get and, access. And, and what countries in particular? So we're, we've wor- we have worked in about 30 countries. So we've worked in India, Thailand. So there's no dominant country? Not really, no. I mean, Southeast Asia is pretty bad, which is why we have a, such a focus there. But we're South America, but even the U.S. The U.S. Um, just got ranked last year as in the top three destination countries for human trafficking because they're now bringing for, for children for for yeah for children and adults. They're bringing them to the to the clientele now, right? And a lot of that's happening on the southern border because of our horrendous policies that are just letting kids in. You know, that's it's this great thing that. The truth of what's happening on the southern border is not understood by most of the public. I understand if a man goes to a club in Haiti, where does a man go to get a child? We'll we'll, we'll put adults in a separate section for a moment. Where does a a man who wants sex with a child, Mm -hmm. and by child, average a 12-year-old, okay? Or even younger. I know. It's too hard for my head to wrap around. Okay, but anyway... Uh, where does he go? So this is such an important question because the answer to this is the answer to a major issue that we're dealing with today about legalization of sex workers. Because I'm very libertarian in my thoughts. But so to answer your question, they go to the same place where they would go to find adult sex workers, even if it's legal, like in Amsterdam or something. Because it's these guys are businessmen and they can sell a child for two or three times what they would sell an adult sex worker for. And I say sex worker carefully because that, that, that person could easily be a victim and not want to be, to be there. Uh, and so when you, when you legalize sex work anywhere, and New York State is considering it, I believe Oregon, several states are now coming out. We, we should just legalize it. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that because I'm ambivalent. Uh, uh, I, I don't know what the right answer is, but we'll get to that I in do. a moment. L- l- I'm sure you do. <laughs> I, yeah, look, I, I am, I'm, not cut, I'm not kidding. I think I, I'm sure you do. But I just want to understand, this individual knows where to go to get a child. Correct. And, and, and what are the, is the child, so to speak, rented out for an hour? An hour or several hours or two days. That's beyond they, belief. They, they negotiate a deal. But it's like if you were to go to a car dealership, a large car dealership, and even if they didn't have that car that you're looking for, that dealer will know someone, at least, who knows someone, uh-huh. right? And I'm not saying everybody who deals I, in... I find in, it incredible that they that they get away with it. I mean, why why isn't there just a uh, an undercover person going into every one of these clubs that, you know, so, here's $10,000, I want a kid. So this is why. Because... These countries that have legalized adult sex work, and um, when I say when I say legalize, I mean they actually legitimize the pimps. They have a legal business. The, the girls are HIV tested, and they pay taxes and all this. So in most of these developing countries, it's all they can do to regulate this new, now legitimized business. And now they're shaking hands with the government, and so they they check that guy's clean. So now that guy's just smiling because he never had to show them the 12 children he has back in the stable or, or scattered through several hotels. You know, they're, they're legitimized. And law enforcement already in these countries doesn't have the resources to barely to even regulate this new sex industry. Right, but talking, so they hide but, in plain but sight. In America, we do have the resources. Right. But so, I, I, I fear that as we legitimize pimps who are right, selling so, adults. All right. So let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the question of legalization. I, I, this, just for, bear with me for one moment. So, I have, I have a a similar libertarian view. If adults want to do something utterly consensual in private, that's their business. Having said that, my fear, and also I don't want cops spending all their time on sex when there's murder and rape, and although one may say that part of the sex is rape, but that we'll put that aside for a moment. My argument against myself is, and, and it may not be your argument, but I do believe that if prostitution were legalized, a vast number of young women would enter it. Yes, absolutely. 
No, I don't mean I don't mean trafficked. I mean voluntarily. Oh, okay. Well, I agree with that, but I would also add that a vast group of young women and even minors and children would be forced into it because you've created and legitimized a sex market. Go to Amsterdam, for example. Well, wait, if you legitimize, if if it's under government uh, authority, then the government speaks to the woman and, 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 and says, are you here of your volition? And if she says no, they take her. So isn't government supervision better than than under under cover of night? And that's an argument that many even in my space will make is right. look, you, you've that's my you've, question. you've entered you've allowed law enforcement to come in and, and be right there with them. But in my experience, these these are businessmen who are smart enough to know I will I will push forward the adult sex workers and show that all of them are HIV clean and I'm paying my taxes and I'm legitimate. And, and now they're never, now that they trust me because everything's in place, they're never going to dig deeper and realize that I'm also, or I have contacts who are, and I'm getting a pay out of it, selling the children because. Okay. I'm really talking about adults. Okay. The children, you can't legitimize children prostitution. That's a non-issue. It's evil. Right. So I'm talking about a woman over 18 or over 21, you pick your age. So what is the argument against legalization there when it could conceivably cut down trafficking? The argument against it is that I know, like this is from me personally, I know who these people are. They, if they can sell this product in, in the space that they understand selling people for sex, and they have the opportunity to make three times what they made selling the adult, they will also sell the children. Oh, so your argument against adult legalization is that it will increase children yes. trafficking. Right. And, I never heard that. And argument. now these children aren't going to be protected because there's, look at it from the children's eyes. Uh -huh. My trafficker, my pimp is legitimized by the government that's supposed to be finding me. They trust this guy. Because he has his papers in order. They don't have, look, they, they, a lot of these countries don't have the time as it is to do proactive investigations or regulate a sex trade. So that puts those children even in a bigger state of disadvantage because they're never going to show up on the radar of the cops because these guys are legitimate businessmen. They've legitimized them. So in theory, if, and obviously you don't believe it could happen, but if it could happen that the children part were absolute, were, were truly prohibited and much less common, you don't have an argument with adult prostitution being legalized. I don't. I'm, I'm libertarian that way. I no, agree no, no, no. I, I, I got to salute you. Morally, I, I, I don't oh, like oh, it. No, no, no. That's a separate issue. <laughs> yeah. Correct. I want you to know that adds tremendously to the credibility of everything you say. I just want to tell you that. Because a lot of religious people, I'm religious, you're religious, they let their religiosity determine their position, and uh, which it may, may be fine, but uh, it, it, it's not rooted in what works. So your your fear, based on on tremendous uh, history of work in this, is that once you legalize the adult, the children follow. Correct. Correct. I see. In this world where pedophilia is just growing, and by the way, the left is many in the left are trying to legitimize pedophilia now, calling it natural and and making it almost mainstream right, that it's okay right. to rape a child. Right, and in those cases, it's going to be a lot of boys as well, not just girls. Absolutely, absolutely. There's something called the national, the, the the North American Man Boy Love what, Association. That, exactly. They've been pushing this agenda Mambla, forever, yeah. and they're now right. starting to get headway. We, we, they're now these therapists are showing up in mainstream conferences talking about how children technically can have orgasmic experiences, which of course they can, they're adults and embryo. And because of that, they argue, let's allow children to have sex and who better to teach them than adults. This is leaking into the mainstream, like mainstream therapists. Well, we live in the age of chaos, yeah. so it's not surprising. But I know, I've, I know what happens to children who are raped over and over again and cannot think of, of, of sex as something, they, they're not responsible to make that decision. I've seen what happens to them, you destroy their lives. Right. So that brings me to the next part. By coincidence, I don't even know how it happened, but 
I'm reading a book by one of those uh, used by Jeffrey Epstein. And she was raped by her mother's boyfriend or a boyfriend when she was 12. And it's clear that has such a permanent wound. Wound is too mild. Injury, damage. So my question to you is, how is that ever healed? On the other hand, you're working with Yanmin Park, Yanmi Park, who is one of the giants of humans that I've met. And she was in that chair with me for a fireside chat. She, she was trafficked in China at 13. Yeah. She chose to be normal. She chose not to allow that to ruin her life. Is that fair to say? Because you know her too. I know her very well. We're working together on projects. Yes, that is true. Right. Now, I believe that she has such a strong nature that God or, or, or genes gave her that she could do it. Most, most people, I, I, I suspect, can't. So tell me, is what hope is there for the, the girl raped at 12? So that's, I'm so glad you asked that. So the, the most important thing we actually do at Operation Underground Railroad is that piece. We have an entire aftercare department. So when we go in, when we're requested by law enforcement in, in any country to help them with investigations, give them the tools, to go undercover for them, the first question we ask is, if we help you find a child, what's your plan? What's your aftercare plan? And they generally don't have a good one. And we say, well, we will only help you if you use this partner, this partner in your country, generally other private, you know, nonprofit organizations that we have vetted and that we feel comfortable with. And they have to agree, usually in writing, that we have to, that if we help them, that any anyone we help you find must go here because there are tools, there are things uh, that that can be provided to these victims to make them survivors and thrivers. And and I've seen it. We've seen it happen where they, they break through it and they're able to reintegrate into society and live a life of happiness. Oh, look, I'm thrilled to hear it. It, it. I believe it. It's a little hard to believe because it's not like they have one man a week. They have a few a day. Even up to 20 a day, we've seen. Okay, I need a vomit bag. I'm sorry. I, I must say it. <laughs> it's... it's, it's it's like the comfort women that the Japanese made out of the Korean women. You know, they're basically sex dolls. That's right. It's hard to believe they're not permanently damaged. I, I, I'm thrilled to hear that it's not necessarily the case. Is that fair to say? That's fair to say. And some actually go on to marry a man and make a family? Right. In fact, let me tell you this amazing story. In 2014, we did this probably the largest operation in conjunction with the U.S. government and other entities um, in Haiti, in uh, Colombia. We rescued over 100, mostly children, some women, got them all through aftercare. One of them was a boy who had been trafficked, I believe, since he was 10 or 12 years old. And he went through our aftercare partners, came out, um, got married and became one of our ambassadors. And we actually helped him through school and got him a scholarship. Now he's on the streets in Colombia right now, finding victims and bringing them to the aftercare solutions. Amazing. And he found this woman last earlier this year who was suicidal. She got pregnant uh, through being trafficked. And she said, I'm either going to abort the baby or kill myself, kill myself, which takes care of both of us. He said, please don't do that. I just got married. I will adopt your baby and I will get you to aftercare. So the, 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 this, this victim had the baby he adopted. He's the father of this child. And this girl is now getting the help that she needs. I mean, these are the kind of stories we're now seeing as we get into like the second generation, right? What, what are they doing now? We are eight years old. Um, and so we're now seeing the kids that we rescued become adults. And what are they doing? And so these are some of the stories. Is religion any part, and I don't have a vested interest, I'm, I'm just curious. Is religion any part of their restoration process? Uh, almost always. Almost always they, they turn to a higher source. On their own, we don't. Sort, we of, don't, li sort of like AA. Correct, exactly like AA. Yeah, we, we don't push that at all. That's not what we do. Uh -huh. um, most of us are praying people of all sorts of denominations, right. but, but in, in our experience, it's those who, who turn to a higher source for healing because they will naturally generally, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll do that. Um, in their you're, you're terrific. You really are.
It's a, it's a very beautiful thing you're doing, and, and it's a very healthy approach. So I heard, or I know, or you told me, <laughs> that you, you've adopted two, uh, two trafficked people in yes, Haiti? correct. Are they Haitian or from elsewhere? They're Haitian kids. So they're Haitians trafficked in Haiti? Yeah, so what happened was after, after the big earthquake in 2010, and this happens, by the way, in almost every developing country that experiences some kind of disaster like a hurricane or earthquake, it's harvest time for the traffickers. So what they do, one of their great tricks is, you know, 250,000 Haitians died in that earthquake. But what was, what was underreported was the fact that that made about a half a million children that were orphaned overnight. And they're now walking the streets aimlessly walking and so what people do these traffickers show up and they write orphanage on the wall orphanage here orphanage there oh my god and now innocent people what do we do with these children their parents are dead and my children they that i end up adopting their stories they're they're crying over the dead bodies of their mom and dad they're one and two years old and this nice woman with good intent took them to the local the, the closest place that said orphanage it wasn't an orphanage it was a trafficking organization. They were collecting these children and then they were selling them on the back end for 15, dollars $15,000. If there's 2 million children forced into commercial sex, you got to ask, how does one enter into that black market? One way is, is false orphanages. So we went undercover when we got the intel that this was not a place, uh, a true orphanage. And the Haitian police asked us to, if they offer to buy a child. So I went into this place and I'll camera it up. So we had this all in video and, and I have to, I have to pick a kid. It doesn't matter which one. Cause she, the traffickers begin to offer us. They're all for sale. I'm like, yeah, of course. That's why we came here. And, uh, before I can pick a child, I see this two year old or one and a half year old, this beautiful boy. Um, he, he turns and runs to me almost like an angel whispered to him or something. It was very bizarre. We caught it on camera and I pick him up and I said, yeah, I'll take this one. And um, as they were selling a one and a half year old boy. Yes. There were younger kids there as well. And they have instructions. Here's how you evade the police. Here's how you and, and they don't ask you why you're taking the kid. But it's no one buys a child to raise them. I mean, you've adopted a kid. You understand the, you, no one. No one buys a child with, with good intent. You're going to either make child rape videos with them. You're going to sell them for organ, their, their organs or, or for labor. And this is how they enter into the market. And he, this little boy ended up having a sister who was two. And when I found out that they were together, I bought them both. And how much was it? It was $30,000 for both of them. That's how much they were selling. They make a fortune. Yeah, they can make a, it's $150 billion a year business. And if I, if I were truly a legitimate pedophile, I could make millions off those, those two kids. I mean, pedophiles, there's, there's millions of pedophiles that would just love to have access. And if I had got a hold of these kids and took them out of the country, now I got them, they're nameless, they're identityless, no one knows they exist. So it's, 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 it works in terms of a business model. It's evil, but it works. Um, anyway, so you bought the two kids. We bought them and I, I had this bond with them throughout the whole operation. And we ended up getting the evidence we needed. The Haitians came in and took had down. Have they the ever orphanage. been raped? They have not. It was the only case that I've ever worked where it was a preventative strike. We we're actually looking for another boy who was an American citizen, but of Haitian descent. And the intel looking for that child led us to that place. Generally, it takes rape for it to show up on any radar that we would then work. Uh, but because we were looking proactively for this other child, he let it. We never found him, by the way, but he led us to a situation where we could do a preemptive strike. They were all for sale. How many years ago was this? That was in 2014 when we, on February 19th, 2014. So they're eight and nine years old? Now they're, they're, nine, they're uh, nine and 12. Nine but and 12. They, they were given those ages arbitrarily because there was no paper on them. So you don't really know their birthday just, or their, their age. And we don't even know if they're really brother and sister. We just know that she claimed this little oh, boy. Oh, what a good point. And uh, she, she, it's an amazing story, these kids. And I, t I call my wife at the end of the operation. Oh my gosh, you won't believe what just happened. And my wife just said something came over her and she said, I want to be the parent. I want to be their mom. And I said, you're, you're insane. We just barely quit my federal job. We have no money. A nonprofit generally isn't going to last more than a year. right? Uh, and she said, I don't care. I feel, she, her words, I feel God speaking to me. I want to be their mother. I said, okay. 
I will do what I can. And three years later, we, we got him home. And then my wife started a, a, a project at Operation Underground Railroad called Children Need Families, which we, we target, we go to orphanages in high trafficking areas where we know that most orphanages in high trafficking areas, those children are going to be raped at some point or abused. And so we've been able to um, offer 135 children uh, weighted to freedom. If you had more money, what would you do with it? One thing we do is adopt more kids out of high trafficking areas and find families that will take them. Well, there are so many families that want to adopt a child. That's right. But the, the cost, I mean, I couldn't afford it. My, my parents, luckily, who live in your town, by the way, right here where we're a few miles from your, your house, um, they, um, they helped us out. It's $30,000 per kid. So people can't afford it. And those families that, that want that generally aren't the families that can afford it. So we find people who are who, who have the money but don't have the ability to raise a family, and we connect them. And we've been able to help over 130 kids get home that way. How are your kids doing? Awesome. They're, they're you know, they, we have seven biological, so I, I like to say they went from one orphanage to another, you know, and they just kind of fit right in. <laughs> These two, do they, do you... Th- Maybe you don't want to answer this, which would be fine. But do they do they bear psychological wounds from their early earliest year? Yeah, yeah, I'm open about that. We we have um, we're watching very carefully. We've had them assessed and and nothing yet. Um, and, but we're you know little things, but nothing major. Um, you know, there's some attachment issues. So like my my wife is so sweet. You know, she she learned to sing this song called "I Am a Child of God." Um, a song that we sing in our faith and she translated it into Haitian Creole. And so when the kids came, she just sang that song to them constantly to tell them who they are. You, you are a child of God. You are loved. And um, like to this day, my, my youngest, who we got at eight, we rescued him at one and a half, got him at, at, at uh, he was about, no, he was actually six or seven. We got him. But Catherine, to this day, we've been home for three years. She, she lays with him and cuddles him to sleep every night because she recognized he, he didn't have to, to create this bond. Right, which is so e- important. Every night she, right. she, she does this um, because that's what, that's, that's one, you know. Thing. Now, I, obviously, I assume they're black. Yes. And how are they doing at school or are they homeschooled? They're, they're in public schools. And how do the other kids treat them? Oh, uh, great. You know, it's, it, it was a, it's a funny story because the whole time that we were trying to adopt them, I don't know why, but my oldest daughter, Haitian daughter, would always call me Papa Blanc, Papa Blanc, whenever I show up, which means white daddy. Daddy white. Da- yeah. White daddy. And, and, uh, and, I, <laughs> and she did it for three years. She finally got home. We live in Utah. And she kept calling me white daddy. I said, look, it was cute down there. It might be illegal in certain oh, states here. Oh, that's hilarious. I said, you got to stop. Right. It's just daddy. Um, but um, they're, they're actually, no, they, they, they're very well accepted and, very, you know, and if anything, the kids, they're, they're kind of popular because uh-huh. they're like, you know, the, the, they think black they're, is in. they're good looking kids. And yeah, and, and they're unique. And, and, and so they're completely integrated. They have tons of friends. That's and, great. Yeah. So what's the future for uh, Operation Underground Railroad? Our goal is to put brick and mortar offices, the likes of which we already have in Thailand. Uh, we, um, we just... Uh, bought land in Central America where, where, where we have what's called OUR University. We copied Prager University. <laughs> it's called OUR University. What it is, it's an aftercare center where survivors can come from all around that region and learn whatever skill they want. They want to be a nurse, we'll provide that training. Um, and so we just bought the land, multiple acres, beautiful country. I, I won't say publicly where it is. So that's the idea is to get integrated into these countries where we have a permanent presence, where law enforcement and aftercare services can use this as a, as a basically build a fusion center where they can come and get the intel, get the tools, and go out and, and really conquer and, and liberate more. Did you ever imagine this would be your life's work? No, I, um, I, I didn't want to do this. Truly, I didn't want to do this. Uh, I, I had an experience where in two, and on July 4th, 2006, this guy named Earl Buchanan... I was, in, I was a government agent at the time. He came across the Mexican border. He was kidnapping children in Mexico and then making child rape videos of them in his 
home in San Bernardino County. And this kid came across on the night of July 3rd with him. And I responded and got him out. And it was the first time I'd seen a kid that I recognized from a child rape video. And it just almost, it was like, at that point I had to make a decision. Either I'm out or I'm in. And I, and I went home in tears. And it was my wife who just said, we are, we're in. Like you, whatever pain you're, you, you're experiencing, because I, I, I couldn't handle it. At one point, this little boy, five years old, comes running up to me. Um, and it's depicted in, the, there's a feature film coming out about as it tells this story. Jim Caviezel actually plays me in the film. Um, who, he's one of my favorite actors. Um, but he, the, the little boy runs up to me and starts crying. And he's holding me and he's shaking and I'm crying. And, and he says to me in perfect English, which was shocking because I thought he was Mexican. But then I realized later this man had control of these kids since they're babies. And he said, I don't belong here. And I remember just like, I could hear that echoed a million times, two million times. I don't belong here. And that's what almost, it either was going to make or break me. And it was a trans, a transformative moment for me. And at that point I knew this is it. I can't, I can't do anything else. I've seen too much. I have to meet my maker someday. There's no excuse at this point. It's almost like, I wish I didn't know. Uh, but at this point I have no choice. And I've wobbled, you know, and when we started OUR, Operation Underground Railroad in December of 2013, in the last minute before, Glenn Beck was actually, he's kind of the, godfather of OUR. He, he raised us our first million dollars and we've been close ever since. Um, but uh, when the money started coming in, I told Catherine, my wife, I said, I'm out. This means I have to leave my job. Like, and I was, a, I was a mess and she came up to me and she said these words, which I'll never forget. And whenever I'm feeling low, I just believe her. She said to me, I will not let you jeopardize my salvation by not doing this. Wow. And I thought, okay, if that's how, and she meant it. Wow. I said, that's it. If that's how you feel, then I will do anything. And, um, and, and I, what I was, what I've been surprised about after starting OUR is how many people feel that way. That they feel that much passion. There's so much dark, but now we have this light. I, I feel like as the dark gets darker, the light gets lighter. And, and so many people, Prager you, one of them, Prager you came to us years ago and said, we want to help you rescue more kids. I said, wow, thank you. Because a lot of media outlets don't want to talk about something that will may turn away, you know, their audience. And, and Marissa, who is just amazing, just said, nope, what, what can we do to, to help rescue more kids? So Prager has been one of our greatest media partners um, in, in getting this word out and, and helping to fight this. And, and maybe more importantly is fighting the bad ideas that create it in the first place. Right. So that's a great note to end on. I'm going to tell Prager if I see him. Yeah, you should. Yeah. I, I, I heard uh, you might know him. Well, <laughs> Tim Ballard, your uh, your presence in my house is a blessing. Thank you. It's, I'm honored to be here. What can I add to that? Thank you for watching. Thank you for watching this video to keep PragerU videos free please consider making a tax-deductible donation.